Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Before I start, I wanted to do this, and I wanted to make sure it was online, but we had a, I, I, was, I text Alan and Cindy Campbell. How many remember them, huh? Yeah, look at her hands, yeah. Well, uh, he texted me back uh, and wanted me to make sure that I said hello to everybody. So, Alan, if you're watching, we love you, and I told all the people that you both said hello. Everybody say hello. <laughs> Lord bless you. We're going to continue today in the series of Man After God's Own Heart, and I want to talk to you today about when doubt overcomes faith, when doubt overcomes faith. And David is at a really peculiar place right now. David is at a place that it's a little different than his rest of his spots. And so how many of you, how many of you have ever, have ever been frustrated, irritated, aggravated at a present situation? And because you've been agitated, frustrated, um, your attitude rise up. And how many have ever got to this attitude? I don't care. So what? I don't care. You know, how many ever got to that attitude? Hmm? Yeah. And, uh, well, David's at a really moment where he has gone through so much that he is tired. Um, he's kind of tired from running. And he's at a, a point where he's about to make a decision because his heart is at a point, you know, have you ever made a decision that you wish you never made that decision, but you know you made the decision when you weren't at your strongest? How many would understand that, right? Yeah, we all would. We're probably not at our strongest, but we make this decision. I remember a time that um, uh, you, we make our decisions sometimes emotional decisions that are not right. Emotional decisions. And um, I want you to know that I made an emotional decision one time that cost me eight stitches. And um, one time I was working on a show vehicle. I used to be in the world of wheels and I used to travel uh, with my van to different car shows. These were car shows that would be for one, two, three days. And so I created this. Uh, this was my second vehicle. I created this vehicle that was, well, it took me seven years to build. And one day, I was working on stairs. Now, in the final design, these stairs that I cut myself on didn't even get into the final design. But I was working on stairs, and I was behind the table saw. And if you know anything about table saws, you never cut from behind it. You cut in front of it. Everybody say amen. So if you never use one, I want to at least teach you right. Because pastor didn't do right, knew he wasn't right. Now, some of you would probably say amen on that one, but... Um, so what I decided, I just needed a little piece of wood, a little piece to be chopped off. I was too lazy to go around the table saw because it was a pretty long one. And so I thought, I'll just put it on with the long piece of wood and just tap the saw blade just to get that little bit off. In my mind, I said, that's stupid, Brian. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I said, I don't care. I can do it. I'll get away with it. Well, 
And the next second, when I touched it, just tapped it, it drove the whole piece of wood into the blade. My whole hand was all around the blade, which I should have been cut so bad, but I only got eight stitches on this finger. It was a bad decision. It was bad results. But I learned something. Never, ever did that again. It taught me to respect the tools that I'm using. Because this is how accidents take place. Accidents take place is when you're using tools day in and day out, you get kind of like at ease. You no longer fear it. It could be a giant saw, but you don't fear the saw because you use it all the time. Other people come there and they go, ooh. But you don't because you're used to using it. What ended up happening, though, taught me never to do it again. So here's my question to you. How well do you answer questions? How well do you make decisions? And how well do you ask yourself the questions, the right questions, so you do the right decisions? Let me ask you this question right now. How many of you have made at least one bad decision since the day you were born? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. And so we need to really think about that. How are we doing in making the right decisions? How are we doing in making decisions under pressure? Because David's under pressure right now. A lot of pressure. And today, before we get into our text, I want to lay something down before you because I think you can learn something about David, but you can learn something about you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready for this. So what I want to do, first of all, is I want to go through a process here because David was a man of promise. He was a man who God had purpose in David. And we see this because Saul, the first king of Israel, wasn't doing it right. And you know what the Lord says to the Samuel, the prophet? He says this, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of the people because you have not done what the Lord has asked you. And so God was saying, you know what, Saul, you're done. Your kingdom's over. It will not last. God's raising up another man. And in chapter 16, Samuel now goes to David's household, anoints David to be the next king of Israel. Now, let me show you, before we get into our text, because this happened to David, and it happens to us. And we can do the same thing David did, and we have to learn from this. I believe that we can learn from other people's mistakes. Someone say amen. amen. I believe that the problem with us is that when we don't learn from other people's mistakes, and we say, this will never happen to me. Never happen to me. I know it happened to them, but it won't happen to me. You set yourself up for failure. So let me take you down on a journey, and let me just observe a few chapters to remind you the life of David. In chapter 16, we see he's anointed. In chapter 17, we see God gave protection when David faced Goliath. So the first thing we have to realize is David has a promise and David has a purpose. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we have to realize is that David got protection from God when he killed this giant nine feet tall. God was with him. Someone say God was with him. In chapter 18, the third evidence of God intervening in David's life, God gave protection in a battle. God gave David a high-ranking army, another intervention of God. God gave him favor with soldiers and the people. Another, this is the fifth evidence of God 
intervening in David's life, God gave him a best friend named Jonathan, who happened to be the king's son. A sixth intervention God did in David's life, God gave David protection when King Saul planned to have him killed by putting him in the army and wanted the Philistines to do his work for him. But instead, God blessed him. In every battle he went into, he was victorious. Not just victory, but victorious. Meaning God, he went beyond all of the other leaders and generals. The seventh evidence that God intervened in David's life is that God gave David protection when King Saul threw his spear at him. God was there and protected Saul when he was full of anger and jealousy. In chapter 19, we see an eighth time God intervened in David's life. God protected when Saul ordered Jonathan and his soldiers to kill David, even when he was pretending to be in sick in bed or McCall was covering after him. God, once again, caused David to stand in chapter 19 in the gap and defend his buddy's character. And he reconciles David to his father Saul. These, this tenth thing I think is important. This tenth thing that showed in chapter 19 that God was divinely intervening in David's life, God protects him again when King Saul throws a second time a spear at him. Hey, the first time, these guys with spears were not exactly what I call um, amateurs. Okay, these guys, Saul knew how to use a spear. But when you have a guy who really knows how to have a spear, but you have a God watching over you, he going to miss every single time. Someone say, God is involved in his life. Go ahead, say it. God is involved in his life. Yeah. And God is involved in your life. And so we're going to learn something today. Bear with me. So he gets a second spear thrown at him. And this, that, of course, is not a good thing when the king throws a, sword, a, a spear at you. Excuse me. The eighth thing, God, in chapter 19, God gave David protection when, I'm sorry, uh, eight, in, in chapter 19, the, what number am I on? I'm, the, I'm on the 11th. The 11th thing that we see God intervening in David's life, David is protected and encouraged to flee his home, and his wife steps in and says, hey, listen, David, if you don't get out of here, my dad's going to kill you. He brought people into his life to give him wisdom and to act on what he was hearing. And David usually listened to it. The 12th thing that shows God's intervening in his life, God protects David when he runs to the prophet Samuel and the spirit of God falls. Saul's on his back right close by, but then God shows up with the power of the spirit that messes everything up and gives David opportunity to escape. Chapter 20, once again, the 13th thing that we can see God in, 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 inter, intervening in God, uh, David's life is that Jonathan intercedes on the behalf of David and he puts himself in the anger of his own father and his own father throws a spear at his own son as Saul stands up for David's character. God is with David. Chapter 21 the 14th intervention, God protects David when he is on the run from King Saul and he goes to Achish and he becomes fearful because his, his song is heard throughout the land. But God brings protection even when he is with King Achish. It goes further. God continues to protect him 
in chapter 22, God gives David protection and help when he goes to the cave of Adullam, and he now takes on a bunch of outlaws. I love um, when we went to go see um, the play um, because when he finally gets those outlaws, he looks like and says, God, really? You want me to oversee these guys? Because these guys were not exactly, um, they were rough around the edges. Look at your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> In chapter 23, we have, to, we have to understand that God speaks to David and gives guidance when he asks for help when he's at Kyla, When he's intervening as the Philistines are about to destroy Kyla, he steps up and God speaks to him and tells him, go into battle. But that's not enough. Again, he, he goes before God because the men are scared. They're in Judah and they're scared in their own country. Yet David's saying, we're going to go into the Philistines and we're going to fight against them. And the men said, I don't know if this is a good idea. And God goes before, David goes before God and God speaks to him. Tells him exactly, go, you're going to have victory. That's 17 right now of interventions of God involved in David's life. Listen, listen to this portion of scripture. I think it's powerful. In 1 Samuel 23, 14, David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hand. Someone say protection. Someone say favor. I'm laying a foundation on where we're going because I want you to see how many times God was doing something in David's life. But sometimes we can miss it because we're not looking at what God has done. We're always asking God, what are you doing for me today? 18th intervention of God. God protects and intervenes for David and his men and when King Saul and 3,000 soldiers were close to catching him. See, this is a, I love this portion of scripture because King Saul, this is the closest King Saul ever came to almost catching David. And it happens in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his forces were closing in on David. Someone say closing in. In the Greek, it goes, uh-oh. And his men... To capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. So Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. Do you see the hand of God intervention? I want you to see how God is intervening in David's life. But I also want you to know that God's intervening in your life. And sometimes we are the last ones to understand how God is intervening in our own life because we're just looking at our problems. We're just looking at our hardships. We're just looking at how it's not the way I want it to be. But yet God is involved. Someone say God's involved. Hmm. In chapter 24, the 19th intervention for, for David's life, God protects David and tests David's character. And David shows Saul kindness when Saul walks into the same cave and David's men are saying, kill him, kill him. They're hiding in the same cave. And here comes Saul walking right into the cave. But all that David does is cut off a piece of his robe. And after he's confronted in the text, Saul goes home. Again, chapter 25, the 20th intervention of God in the life of David. We see that God sends Abigail to David to help him see the wrong that he's about to do. God brings people in your life sometimes just when you need it, but you can only see it if you are humbled to hear what they have to say. 
If you resist what they are saying to you, you will lose the blessing and you'll lose what God's trying to say. David listened to a total stranger and let's go one step further. She was a woman besides in a culture that didn't work that way. But David heard the truth of her lips and it identified with the truth he knew on his heart. And because he was one who would humble himself when truth was heard, that's what made him such a great king. We see again in chapter 26, 20, the 21st intervention of God. God protects David as he goes into the Israel camp where King Saul is sleeping and surrounded by 3,000 soldiers. I like this because he grabs the spear and the water jug. But what's so powerful about verse 12 of chapter 26, it says, No one saw or knew it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all asleep because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Someone said the Lord had. The Lord was working in David's life. And I just mentioned a few here, a few. God, 21 moments and just a few Chapters of divine acts of God intervening in one man's life. Let me mess up your mind a little bit. God's doing that for all his people. Did I mess you up? <laughs> Messes me up. How God, the creator of all things that we see and the things we haven't seen yet. And the best is yet to come. <laughs> is working on your behalf. It's working on your behalf. He wants you to see God gave protection, God gave favor, God intervened in the life of David. And yet all is forgotten when the door of doubt and fear knocks. If you want to mess someone up, put them into a moment where they have to fear or they start doubting. Because look what God's done in his life, right? So let's go to the text and you'll understand where we're going today. But David threw to himself, he thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel and I will slip out of his hand. So David and his 600 men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maach, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath, uh, Gath and Achish, each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam and of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, and Nabal, the widow of Nabal. Watch this in verse 4. When Saul was told that David had fled Gath, he no longer searched for him. When, then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. Why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has been belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Gershites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From the ancient times, these people have lived in the land extending from Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or a woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkey, camels, and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. 
When Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of Jeremiah, or against the Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiah, or against the Negev of Canaanites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was the practice along as he lived in the Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, he has become so odious, which means extremely repulsive to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. So I want to focus on this portion of scripture right here. This is, this is where you and I live because we do a lot of thinking. Look, let's, let me read this. 1 Samuel 27, 1. And David thought to himself. Someone say, thought to himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of Philistines. Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. I want you to get this. This is important. David thought to himself, how many of you listen to yourself? Hey, this is what we do. We'll ask, we'll ask the question, here's the question, and we answer the question. And then we get all the information, and then we get ourselves in a hissy, and we believe something that we don't even know is true, only because this is what we think, because we're talking to ourselves. Let me, let me ask you a question. If I told you, and I just said, what's behind that door? And you started Here's the question, what's behind that door? And then you started to think to yourself, what's behind that door? But you don't know what's behind that door until you open the door. But you think to yourself, ah, behind that door is gold. Big amounts of gold. And I would really believe, I would really like to believe that. (laughs) The thing is, we talk to ourselves and we talk to ourselves so much, we believe all the talk that we talk. Problem is, here's the question, here's the thing. Problem is, do you bring God into your thinking? Do you bring God into the situation? Look what he says, look what he says. This is crazy. The best thing I can do is to, the best thing I can do is to escape to the Philistines. Really, really. The best thing he can do is, how about pray? Do you hear him praying? No. Do you hear him remembering what God said? The best thing I can do to encourage myself is remember how many times God has done something for me. No, no, no. God's not brought into his thinking. God's not brought into it at all. All he is thinking about is he's tired. He's worn out. He's been running for a long, long time. He's about to spend one year and four months in Philistine. He has gone so many years doing fighting and running and doing the whole thing, seeing God intervene on it, seeing God work great works. Near the end there, he gets tired. And all he can think is, this came right after a victory. What's the victory? He went into camp with 3,000 soldiers around. God put a deep sleep on all of them, grabbed the spear and the jug, left, showed Saul. Saul recognized he's going to be king. And right after this, he says, one day, Saul's going to kill me. We do the same thing. 
We do the very same thing. God does so much work, so many things, but we do not look at it. All we look at is what we want to look at. What, God, what have you done for me now? This is what I want, God. And if God were to show up two weeks, three weeks down the line, something else happened, and you'd be saying, God, this is what I want you to do, and forget about the victory over here. Come on, someone say amen. It's the truth. We have short, short mind uh, uh, spans. Short memory spans, I should say. We need to remember what God has done because, you know, inquiring of the Lord is not something that David hasn't done. The scriptures that I talk to you, there's about nine times, nine, ten times in scripture, the first Samuel or the second Samuel, that God inquires of the Lord. God, the last time that David inquires of the Lord, the last time that David inquires of the Lord is in Samuel 23. He does not inquire of the Lord until chapter 30 when his home is burned in Ziglag. Where he finally grabs hold and now intercedes before God. But at this point in time, David kind of goes astray in a sense. He kind of just gets tired. He kind of wants it easy. He's tired of fighting all the time. You, you ever feel that way when you're just tired of fighting all the time? There's always a fight. There's always something going on. There's always this. There's always that. And sometimes you just want a nice, peaceful day. And David's just at this point where he just had a victory. And yet he says to himself, he says to himself, I thought in my, one of these days I'm going to be destroyed by the hand of Saul. He sees all this intervention, and yet he's carried a negative spirit. I don't care who you are, but carrying a negative spirit does not come from God. It comes from you. Or it comes from someone who says something to you, and you believe it. God said a bunch of stuff, but are you believing what God said? Someone else says something to you, and boy, you'll be so quick to believe what people say, but not real quick to believe what God says. And we're so quick to believe what people say versus what God says. Someone say, I need to believe what God says. You need to get that idea. I need to believe what God says, not what people say. People are like the weather. God is steady as a rock. There's a difference. So I want to give you a couple things here. What happened to David? What happened to David that all of a sudden he just seems to just go astray and decides the safest place for him to be is not in God's hands, but in the hands of his enemy. It's not to go to God to say, God, I need help, but to go ask and the enemy for help. What brought David to this point? How, how did someone get to this point when they've lived for God, know they have a call on their life, know that they have uh, something going on, and yet come to the point thinking that the best, safest place is to be in the enemy's camp? And thinking, I know what I need to do. Not ask, not inquire of the Lord. We get in a lot of trouble when we make decisions and we don't invite God into our decisions. Someone say amen. And then we want to blame God for the decision. You know, we want to make decisions that we feel comfortable with. Well, let's see here. I want to make a decision, but in order for me to make the decision, this has to be here, that has to be, that has to be, that has to be. Oh, the earth has to be at a certain degree. It has to be a certain temperature. We have all these requirements. We say, God, you know. And God says, wait a minute, child. Do you walk in faith or do you walk in fear? What is it? God doesn't want us to walk in fear. Fear is of the enemy. And if you walk there, you're going to hurt you. What happened to David? Well, David forgot. 
How many have ever forgotten anything? Come on, someone. How many have ever forgotten where your keys are? Oh, look at yeah, all those hands, yeah. How many right now don't know where your keys are? <laughs> yeah, we, we forget, don't we, sometimes? It's, it, it, it's human. If you have a lot on the head, um, you know, you lose hair. Um, and then you sometimes forget where you put things, you know? I mean, you just forget. But we can't forget the important things, the important things of what God has done in our life. But David... David forgot. He really forgot what God had done. He's tired. He's been running. He's been a, uh, an individual on the run and being chased, not just a person, but we're talking about a military army. We're talking about trying to find resources, trying to survive. And he, he just came to a point that he was trying to find a place that he would not have to run anymore, not have to look over his shoulder but he also came to a place that he wasn't willing to continue to trust the Lord. Not that he didn't love the Lord, but he just wanted a place where he could feel safe. He forgot all about what God said to him. He forgot about the promises because of the midst of the constant daily problems that he was facing. He felt pressure. He felt pain. And the moment of pressure and pain outweighed the promise of his future. He allowed the present fear or the present doubt to overcome his daily faith. That happens to all of us. Something happens bad. Something happens that's beyond our control. What do we do? We go, why, why is this a lot? Why is this happening? Why is this happening this way? How come this is happening now? This is happening now. This is happening. Lord, why are you allowing all these things? Lord, I am. Why? You have this big why, right? David's human too, right? Look at your neighbor and say, he's human like you. And David is having a moment, but that moment that David is having and he forgot all that God has done, you and I do the same thing. Because if you were to sit down right now and forget all about your present problems and say, what has God done for your life? How has he intervened? How has he protected you? How has he gone before you? And you don't even know it, but if you just think about what happened in your life, somebody was with you. When I look back at my life and see how many times I could have died because of these events in my life, it could have gone so bad in a totally opposite way. You know? It's amazing. When I was scuba diving that day, when I was scuba diving, um, I, I, I was careful. I, I do things by the book. I know my equipment. But when my brother lost my reserve rod and I didn't know it, I still should have had 200 more pounds in my tank. And so I knew the depth of water, and I knew 200 pounds. Well, if I do run out, no problem. But when I found out, I did not have my reserve rod. Now, the design has changed so much now. It's not that design anymore. But they used to, the old design was they had a little valve on the top. And you just turn the valve with a long rod, and voila, you get 200 more pounds of air, and it's not a problem. But when I'm searching for my rod, it's not there. And I searched, and I searched. And before that, my tank fell off because of my brother. And if he's not, I'm not going to tell you which brother. I'm not going to convict him. But it fell off, and he went down to the floor of the ocean to fix it. And I'm up there spreading water with a weight belt on and stuff, and I'm getting tired. And he, I felt like he 
built a, he, he built a tank down there. It took so long. And so he came up and gave it to me. And so my body had already been beaten up a little bit and standing on top of the water for so long. And then I'm diving and swimming. And then I just waited on the ocean floor trying to find my reserve rod. And before you know it, I'm like, I need air. I need air. So I tried to get to the surface, but I run out of oof. I run out of energy. I just can't break the water. I just can't. I am trying. I just don't have the strength to break. And it's only this far from me, the light crystallizing off the surface. It's beautiful, beautiful. And I couldn't break it. And I put my head down, and I'm about to take in a breath. And this little voice said to me ever so clear, I can still hear it today, let go of your belt. Now, I know that. That's like a, and it's a, it's a way, there's a way of letting go of your belt. I have knives on this side and knife on this side. And so you have to let go of your belt and get away from your body so that the weight belt don't hang on one of your apparatuses that you have on your leg or something else. And so, but I was so tired, I was about to let it in. This voice says, let go of your weight belt. And in the little bit of energy I had, I picked up these two fingers and flipped my belt open. And my belt just fell off. And I went up to that about a foot, foot and a half to the surface, grasped my ear, and I realized, oh my word, if it wasn't for that little voice reminding me what to do, it was an audible voice I heard, I would not be here. We would not be, you would not have Pastor Brian Corkum as your pastor. <laughs> I'm just one of the stories of God intervening in my life, but he has done the same for you. It may look different. It may sound different. But David forgot all that God had done because of the present pressure, the heartache, the load, the doubting. When God going to do it? I have this promise, but boy... I've waited a long time. Has he forgotten me? Does he really know where I am? Does he really understand how heavy this thing is to carry? God had put him through king's camp. And it wasn't easy because it's not easy being a king either. Someone say amen. You see? And so God was trying to raise up a king, not just put someone in the authority as king as he did with Saul. So we have to remember that just that happened to David and how David just forgot all the promises and all that God has done. Same thing happens to us. We forget what God has done. We forget what God has said to us. We forget the promises in the midst of the problems. We forget because of the pain and the pressure of the moment. We forget the promises that we have in the future. We forget because we get so overloaded by all kind of stuff. We allow the present fear to overcome our daily faith. We, over, we, we allow the daily doubts of, of, the mind, of what we're thinking, the doubts that come into our mind, thinking God must not be with, us, be with me because. And we don't realize that, you know, sometimes your problem can be the very vehicle that God brings you deeper with him. Your situation can be a vehicle where you experience God even greater. People think a problem is a hindrance and I differ with you. I believe sometimes our problems and our circumstances are vehicles in which God makes us better. So let me give you three things that God, 
that we can learn here in David's decision. Three observations that I think we can get these three in our life. God will do a work. Number one, David trusted the wrong source. David trusted the wrong source. He listened to himself. Listen, if you're going to make a decision, stop listening to yourself because you only tell yourself what you want to hear. You want wisdom, you gain wisdom, but don't gain it simply by what you think. What is God saying? Then find out someone you trust, but don't just go by what you think because I guarantee you, you're going to set yourself up to not do something or to just complain about something, but not really resolve anything. Proverbs 3, I love this, Proverbs 3 Five and eight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Watch this now. Number seven, verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil, for this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. I like this part. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but if you're going to listen to yourself, who are you listening to? You'll be wise in your own eyes. This is why external counsel is so important. How about this one? Jeremiah 17, 5. This is powerful. This is what the Lord says. Curse is the one who turns trust in man, who depends on the flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's not good. That's not good at all. God doesn't want you to depend on the flesh. God wants you to depend on God. He's your source. He's your everything. But that doesn't mean God doesn't use the horizontal because he does. That's how God works. He uses the horizontal. But that can't be your source. Someone say amen. You're praying this way and God will work this way. Someone say amen. People sometimes get short-circuited in understanding that. And David, instead of turning to God in prayer... Like he's done many times, he allowed what he's going through and how he's feeling. Someone say how you're feeling. Don't go by your feelings. You know, sometimes the body don't feel like it. You got to go do that. Yeah, I don't feel like it. How many times someone, how many of you here today have ever said, I don't feel like it? Okay, watch this now. How many of you ever said this? I don't feel like it. And you gave it some, like, emotion. Huh? I don't feel like it. I just, you know. Why, why can't someone else go do it? Oh, why me? <laughs> David turns to himself and gets his own plan, gets his, takes his own advice, which leads us to his second problem that he did. Second problem, he had the wrong source, but then David believed his own counsel. If you have an issue or you have something, don't go by just what you say. Don't try to just, that's why the Bible says in the multitude of many, there is wisdom. When you get people together and they come with good ideas, that's how you get great ideas. You get a table of brainstorming together and everybody gives something to the table. It may not be, you may come up with someone that a bunch of good ideas come together and you got a great idea. But no, David just decided within himself just going to take his own counsel and he feels like you know what if I go ahead over to the enemy that's where I can finally be out of his grasp and I can kind of breathe a little bit not to mention not to mention his decision he made made it for his men made decision he made made it for their families 
The decision he made put him in a place where he now is deceiving the king. He's living a lie. And it's really interesting that during this time, no psalms are written about this time in his life. He's not written one psalm during this time. Why? Because he's not connected to his God like he had been connected to his God. He's living a lie, total lie. He's lying about this and deceiving about this. He's not being who he is created to be because he took his own counsel. David had promised. David had a promise he would be king. Jonathan believed that promise and told him. He confirmed it. Abigail believed that promise and confirmed it in him. Even Saul confirmed that promise and confirmed it in him. But David, at this moment in time, said, that's it. I'm going to die if I don't leave Israel. All he saw is what he thought. We do the same thing. We convince ourselves of what we want because we keep talking to ourselves and we believe we have this much little information. We don't know what's behind the door, but we stop making up things of what is behind the door. And we believe it to a point that we're really to fight about it because we think we're right. But we have failed to gain the right information to make a right decision. And the third thing is that David reached the wrong conclusion because he had the wrong source. He took the wrong counsel. And whenever you do the wrong source, wrong counsel, you'll always have the wrong conclusion. David listened to himself. He wasn't listening to anybody else. The future king of Israel is running to the arch enemy, not to God. When believers make a fatal decision or walk away from the Lord, they, they miss out on blessings and they put themselves in situations that are going to bring hurt and harm to their life. What David did, now catch this, what David did was not divinely planned by God. He made that choice, but we see in Scripture God Never left him. Even in a bad decision, God never left him. Even when he comes back and Ziklag is totally burned, you see him interceding. And what does God do? He answers him. Why is that? Because if you're for God, God's for you. And even when you make a bad decision, God's still on your side. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Your decision has consequences, though. God can be on your side, and God is with you, and he will help you. But there are consequences that will also come to you as well. But he forgot about things. I don't know where you are today, but are you allowing your present problems, your present situations to affect your faith? Are you allowing this that's happening over here and this was happening over here? You can't control it. But you can control how you believe. You control what you are going to believe God for. Can you stand to your feet? One of the most important things in the world, and let's ask ourselves a question. Is there anything happening in our life that we have not brought God into our thinking? Is there anything in our life that we have not, we've been thinking on our own. We've been just doing our own thing. Father, Let's go before Father right now. And if you can identify with that, is there something right now that you would say, yeah, there's something that I haven't really brought God in. I've been worrying about it, worrying about it, but have I really brought God in? I have to say truth, Pastor, I haven't. Raise your hand right where you are and tell me, yeah, yeah, yeah. God wants you to bring God into the thinking. 
those watching online, God wants you to bring God into your life. And if you're here today and Jesus is not your Savior, that's the first place you start, making Jesus your Savior, saying, I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. When you do that, when you do that, God will come into your heart and life and transform you in a beautiful way. That's what transformation of the gospel is all about. It's saying, God, I've sinned. I've done it my own way. Come into my heart. Come into my life. That same prayer that brings us to God is the same prayer when we need help. We need guidance. We need instruction. We just come to God. God, I need your help. I need your instruction. I no longer am going to worry about these things. I'm going to cast these cares upon you for you care for us. As you raise your hand, as you say, this is my problem. And those watching online, maybe there's a problem. I'm going to just pray for you. We're going to believe God that God's going to touch you. And you're going to cast these problems off. And the things you're thinking about, I want you to bring God's word into the equation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Bring him in. And then the promise is he'll guide your steps. That's what God wants to do. Father, I pray right now that you would draw hearts ever so close to you. They will cast their problems, I pray, off. I pray for those online and those here. Lord, will you do a work as we humbly come before you to help us live differently for you, to walk in the joy, to walk by faith and not by sight, to know you and who you are. And as we walk in you, may you do the work in us, through us, and around us. We will believe that. We thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people with a loud voice said, amen, amen. amen. Give him some praise in the house of the Lord. House of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord.